People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Hello and welcome to Premier League Insights, the podcast that combines odds analysis with insight from InfoGoal's predictive model to help find value in the Premier League betting markets. We've got a first round of midweek fixtures for the season and games begin to pile up. Pulling a double shift with me this week is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. How are you, Jake? Very well, thank you. Yeah, overloaded with football at the minute, but can't complain. Exactly. It's not a bad thing, is it? Absolutely not. (laughs) Right, so we'll move into our first game this week and we've got Crystal Palace versus Bournemouth and just when we thought Crystal Palace were beginning to drop off, they've pulled a result out of the bag and what has been a it was against what has been a decent looking Burnley side this season and despite the result, result it wasn't really a great attacking performance from Palace with 0.92 xG. Um, it wasn't really good on the defensive side of things either because they conceded 2.26. Bournemouth are a team that they're seem to be back to their old ways. They they had that run of four games that I think it had just about two goals in with two nil-nils. Um, but since then, they've both scored and conceded in the three games following. Uh, unfortunately for them, they've conceded more than they've actually scored in each of those games. So Saturday's result against Tottenham is probably... It's what it's what they're known for. They gave away plenty of good chances. They did rack up a, couple, a, a bit of XG, but it was fairly limited... Um, low quality chances in attack so these are two teams that are right next to each other in the table they do deserve to be next to each other but probably a couple of places lower down Um, do you think Bournemouth can revert back to that defensive style to try and get a result here or will we see something different do you think Um, yeah well this is going to be a really interesting game because as you mentioned Crystal Palace snapped that really poor um, streak that they've, they've had in the Premier League I think it was six games without a win uh, with a win at Burnley, but it was a really unfair result. I mean, you mentioned you read out the XG totals there, and if you, if you take the you know the chances in the game, re-simulate it, Crystal Palace would only win the game fourteen percent of the time. So, it really unfort- a really fortunate win from Crystal Palace's perspective. Um, the, 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 the goal lived a charmed life throughout that um, that game. Burnley were missing good chances, and that's not something that happens um, on a regular basis. But there is still cause for concern. I mean, I know they, like I said, they snapped that that losing or win the streak, in which, to be fair to them, they did play some of the, the better teams in the league, but there's still real cause for concerns as over the whole season, they sit fourth in our expected goals table. They rank um, dead last when it comes to creating non-penalty big chances, um, and they rank second worst when it comes to conceding non-penalty big chances. So this really is a team that um, that aren't trending in the right direction. So it'll be interesting to see what we get from them um, in this game against a Bournemouth team that are also trending um, towards the relegation battle. Uh, mentioned they were, it was a 3-2 win, but still flattered by the scoreline. Um, we'll get on to Tottenham in a bit, but that's something they're doing at the minute. They seem to be racing into a lead and then just letting the teams um, score a couple late on to make them feel good. And I'm pretty sure Bournemouth will come into this one with a little bit more optimism, having finished the game scoring twice. But it wasn't really, it wasn't a very good performance. And again, like you mentioned, they, they went through that spell of not conceding many goals, not scoring many goals. And that seems to have, uh, have almost been forgotten about now. We've got back to the same old Bournemouth, creating plenty, conceding plenty. And, um, you know, that's what we want to see. We want to see chances and we want to see goals. And Bournemouth are very good value for that. 
they're, they're allowing an average of 1.83 expected goals against per game. Crystal Palace are allowing nearly 1.9 expected goals against per game. So this is two really wide open defences and um, the Infocom model thinks there's really good value in backing both teams to score in this one. There's no value in Crystal Palace at all. Um, you know, they're, they're, sh- they're favourites of 45% on the market and Infocom thinks it should be closer to 39. So we see it as a much more even game than the, than the market does. Um, and both teams to score, we're given around a 65% chance. So you know, that represents a really good bit of value. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting to see that Palace are obviously the favourites for this one. As you said, maybe it should be a little bit closer, but also the, the over-under goals mark is on 2.5 and the, the under seems to be attracting some interest. So do you think, obviously, we had that period of Bournemouth being very defensive. Was that based on their opponents, do you think? Was it them trying out this new style? How how can we predict kind of what Bournemouth is going to turn up? Um, that is a very good question. Uh, it, because of it was such a short space of time, it's hard to be able to almost say that it, that it was a trend that, or maybe it was just a tactic that was being implemented. But you'd imagine that because he had pretty, pretty good success, you know, was it three nil, two nil draws and a one nil win. So I'm surprised that they did not stuck with that. But um, I do wonder if maybe it was the opposition that they were facing, that they thought maybe that might be a better setup. But moving forward, obviously, the, you know, against teams like Newcastle, you, you try and be more open because you think you can beat them maybe in the uh, same well, then Wolves and Spurs are complete contrast, but I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think it's because he got bored and he wants to see loads of goals and entertainment because um, that's what everyone wants to see. So, uh, but also it's you know the, the, it's a tried and tested method what he's what he's using. Although you, you do get some losing streaks like they're on at the moment, three in a row. Um, but you know the games are always fun, um, and they'll have a patch in the season where they win three or out of four or four out of six and. Um, they'll not be in any danger of going down Bournemouth they've got the, for me they're too strong going forward they'll score too many goals to stay up uh, to go down sorry but yeah it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting watch over the next few weeks because it was only four, uh, three games ago that they had that one win over Manchester United and they were on that run of keeping clean sheets so yeah it'll be interesting to see but like, like I said Infogol is we're expecting a high scoring game an entertaining game 63% chance of over two and a half and, uh, and 65% chance of both teams to score Right, so we'll move on to Burnley versus Manchester City. And we just said how Burnley deserved to get more out of that game against Crystal Palace. And had they actually got the three points there, I think they'd be in fifth now as opposed to tenth, I think they're in. Um, When looking at kind of attacking and defensive process this season, Burnley have been very good. And they kind of fall within that top six bunch of the league based on expected points. And from Man City's perspective, it was more drop points at the weekend with that 2-2 draw against Newcastle. It'll be... No surprise for the listeners to hear that Manchester City deserved more out of the game. It was 2.93 XG to Newcastle's 0.23, but those figures don't really change the 11-point gap to Liverpool, and it's now looking like a very difficult task to try and catch the league leaders. So it's definitely going to be a tough test for Manchester City here. Is there any value on offer in the markets, though? Um, Not from a Manchester City perspective. We think they're way too short. They're around 78% on the market, and we've got them closer to 63%. So... We think they really are short and the market is really underestimating Burnley. Uh, Burnley are a team that have been playing really good football, um, really effective football for the last 18 months now, ever since last Christmas. And like you said, they, they, they sit in the top six of our expected goals table. So they, they're doing a lot right. They were very unfortunate against Crystal Palace. They just miss, uh, you know, missed too many chances in the game. And they won't do that every week. I think there was one where Chris Wood went through pretty much one-on-one and 
I think he, he'd scored two or three in his previous two games before that, and he just completely blazed it into Rosehead. And, you know, for a striker that was on a hot streak, you'd imagine that he would at least hit the target, test the goalkeeper. And these things can happen. It's game-by-game game basis, obviously. But if they keep creating the chances that they are doing, they'll, they'll, the goals will come again. Um, an interesting stat for Burnley. Only Man City and Chelsea have created more non-penalty big chances than Sean Dyche's team. And only Leicester have conceded fewer. So that shows just how impressive Burnley have been at both ends of the, uh, of the game. And I, I fully expect them to, to finish in the top half this season. They're playing, like, a, like I said, like a top half team. They're creating plenty of good chances. They're limiting teams. And, and this is going to be a real test for Manchester City, who, like you said, were extremely unfortunate against Newcastle. <clears throat> I mean, the, the amount of pundits that were lauding Newcastle for a good display, they literally just sat 11 men behind the box and scored two screamers. That That isn't a sustainable model for picking it's up great points tactic. in the Premier League. Oh, it's, honestly, <laughs> if you could do that every week, yeah, that is, you know, it's a fantastic way of playing. But yeah, not for me. I, I Based on expected goals, it was a. I think I calculated that Man City created twelve times the amount of expected goals that Newcastle did in the game. Um, we, we calculated a ninety-one percent chance that Manchester City would win the game based on the chances that both teams created. So, just shows you how unlucky Manchester City were not to pick up the three points. Um, yeah, if they could keep playing like they are doing, they'll. they'll you know, things will re- regress back to what we'd expect. So they'll be picking up more points, um, winning games regularly. You mentioned the 11-point gap. That is a big worry. Um, but given the stacked schedule Liverpool have over Christmas, they've got the Club World Cup, they've got a really testing run of fixtures coming up. I'm not going to say it's it's impossible. Let's just say that Manchester City are playing at such a high level. The protest is absolutely sensational. They're averaging you know, three expected goals per game, um, allowing just 1.1 expected goals against per game. So defensively, they are, although they're conceding plenty of goals, they've just been really unfortunate. Um, and I fully expect them to to kick on and I think that they will finish second they'll finish above Leicester at the very least but they you know they've got to find themselves they've got to find themselves again Pep's a he's a tinkerer he'll be he'll be looking at what he can do to change make City better but for me just keep doing what you're doing keep creating three expected goals a game you're going to win more games than you're going to lose that way um this is like I said it's going to be a really tough game but I, I think this is actually probably um, my bet of the midweek fixtures is to back both teams to score it's about fifty percent with the market and in for goals. Uh, in for looking at fifty-eight percent, so there's a, a, a pretty big margin there in our favour. So, uh, given that Manchester City can't keep a clean sheet at the moment, and that for whatever reason every shot that they're conceding seems to be going in, if that continues, I mean, like I said, Burnley are creating good chances anyway. I think they'll cause this makeshift Man City backline plenty of problems, and I think both teams to score a really good bet in this. Yeah, even as someone who's aware of how good Burnley's attacking process is that that big chances stat still comes as a a surprise to me and it it seems that that's kind of we know Burnley before to soak up pressure that that strange way of managing to kind of go against the xg model and, and give away a lot of xg but still come away with the results but that now it just seems that they're just as good going forward as they are at the back yeah they are they are they are really playing some good football um, obviously, the, uh, I heard all these stats in a preview before the game at the weekend, and the game went exactly to plan. Burnley created three big chances to Crystal Palace's, I think maybe one or maybe zero. Um, I have to double check the shot map, but it went exactly to the to the stats. But sometimes stats can go out the window, and you know you get these games where strange things happen. Crystal Palace score two goals from really low probability chances, um, and then you know they, Burnley end up losing the game, but. 
yeah, they, they, they concede a lot of chances, do Burnley, in terms of shots faced, 186 in total, but only 11 of those have been big chances, which over 35% chance have been scored or over. So that's just a 6% chance. 6% of their total chances are big chances, which is, um, you know, it's extremely low. And you compare that to Manchester City, and it's, they, they actually pose the second highest uh, percentage of big chances in the league with 17. So when Man City do concede chances, um, one in five of them are big chances. So that's why they're struggling. Um, but that's because they play high-risk football. Right, well, we'll get straight on to our next game. And it's Chelsea versus Aston Villa. And despite missing a few key players, Chelsea had the better of the game against West Ham that they, they failed to get on the score sheet and ended up with a 1-0 loss. Aston Villa, meanwhile, managed a 2-2 draw with Manchester United, which, despite United's struggle, is still a great result for them. That The performance wasn't too bad either, but they still got a little bit fortunate with the final scoreline. Um, we know Leicester are seen as the main challenger to Liverpool, obviously, as well as Manchester City, but based on expected goals for and against this season, it's actually Chelsea that, that are the closest to those two, those two elite teams at the top of the league. So I'm assuming here that InfoGoal is expecting Chelsea to bounce back with a home win, but how do the numbers line up against the odds available? Yeah, so Chelsea are really short for this. Um, similar price to what they went off against, actually a little bit longer than what they went off against West Ham at the weekend around 75%. And it, we're not as confident on Chelsea getting the win here than as, as the market is. And that's partly due to the fact that um, the ratings that we that we have from last season and, and the 14 games of this season, it's, it's slowly catching up and we're getting to a level where um, where Chelsea are, like you said, they're the third best team and, and the rating will, is showing that. But we just think they're too short in this one. We, Villa have, have shown that they are a capable attacking force. And that's one of the main reasons why it's not shorter. Obviously, defensively, they're, they're, Villa are really poor, but they create good chances on a regular basis, Aston Villa do. So they're always a, a threat, especially on the road like they showed against Manchester United. But yeah, just to touch on Chelsea. You mentioned that you know, third, expect, third in our expected goals table. They've been playing really well. 2.11 expected goals for, 1.28 against. And I think the, one of the main reasons that they lost to West Ham was the... Um, the fact that Tammy Abraham was missing. I think he's a, he's been a huge player for them this season. Um, he's been extremely clinical in, fl- in front of goal as well. So when he has got chances, he he's put them away. And obviously, Olivia Giroud missed a couple of big chances at the weekend. Um, but it was interesting to see, um, looking at the, the two-half breakdown, I mean, it, it was nil-nil at half-time and Chelsea had racked up 2.4 expected goals to West Ham 0.5. So they were comfortably in, in control and were unfortunate not to be in front um, at, at the break. And then, in the second half, they just really didn't get going. I don't know if Pellegrini made any tactical tweaks or um, or he just gave his players an absolute rocket at half-time. But they were, Chelsea really struggled to create anything. They're 0.5 in the second half. So it was a tale of two halves that game. And, um, you know, West Ham can thank the lucky stars that they were 0-0 at half-time. But then, you know, if you take this to second half, um, you know, West Ham were probably good value to get the win. Um it's a bit of a surprise. I think it might just be a little bit of overload in terms of workload. They went to Valencia in midweek and had to really fight hard to get a point there. Um, I think maybe they run out of steam. They'll be refreshed now. Like I said, I think they'll get the win here. We're not as confident as the market is um, of them getting the win. We're not even expecting too many goals. We're looking at this as um, as a Chelsea team that, like I said, they're not conceding too many chances at the moment. 1.28 per game, but um, all three of their clean sheets this season have come at home against teams similar calibre to Villa. You look, I think you're Brighton um, and Newcastle, the two that I can remember off the top of my head. 
Uh, I think it's, it easily could be the case again. And you mentioned Aston Villa there. The, I was listening to this one on the radio back up from um, from London and the commentators were making it out like the Villa absolutely dominated the match. They were fantastic. They were unlucky not to get the win. And, you know, I looked at the XG totals and it says a completely different story. You know, Manchester City 2.3 to Villa's 1.4. And, um, you know, like that's, that's for me, that's one of the benefits of expected goals. You can actually, rather than just looking at it from an eye test perspective, Villa might have dominated the football and looked the more dangerous. But, um, you know, that's where expected goals comes into its own. It's actually creating the quality chances. And in that game, Villa were fortunate to come away with a point. Over, over the, the course of the season so far, they sit where they should do, really, in terms of um, league position. Like I mentioned, defensively, they're vulnerable. They do pose a threat. But I, I've just got a feeling that Chelsea will keep this one um, nice and tight at the back. Uh, they'll create good chances once again. I think Tammy Abraham's going to be fit for this, which is a huge boost. Uh, but we're looking at opposing goals in this one. So we are currently tipping up um, under 3.5 goals, which we have a... a Seventy-one percent chance of landing. So there's, there's, you know, there's a huge amount of value there. The market is, is closer to, I think, fifty-three, fifty-four percent. So um, we are opposing goals. Like I said, under three and a half is is where we're looking, but not too much value in the Chelsea win. And do you think this is going to be the a real kind of testing period for Lampard? Obviously, he's done he's done very well so far, but they can't sign players in January. What happens if someone like Tam- Tammy Abraham gets a, a longer injury? Their fixtures are beginning to pile up. They're thinking about Champions League and cup competitions and stuff like that. What do you think we're going to see from them? Do you, do you see it continuing or or can we anticipate maybe a bit of a drop-off when, when those fixtures do pile up? Um, I, I think we can see it continuing. Um, I don't think it'll be as, as hot as they have been recently. Obviously, the last eight games, they've won six and lost two. I don't think it'll be to that level of uh, of consistency, but um, I, I don't. I can't see them dropping out of the top four the way they're currently playing. The problem they've got is that Tottenham look like they found a, a bit of a groove now, and and they're hot on the heels. They're obviously coming in with some serious momentum. I think this is quite a big game for Chelsea just to steady the ship and uh, and get it pointed in the right direction again. So I think a three points here is is crucial, especially if, if Tottenham could go to United and, and get a win as well. Uh, if Chelsea don't win this one, it, everything is starting to look completely different. Well, speaking of consistency, momentum and top four, that brings us on nicely to our next game because it features Leicester versus Watford. Um, You'll do well to find two teams at more opposite ends of the spectrum here. Obviously, Leicester are flying high after six wins on the bounce of Brendan Rodgers, getting a lot of credit, I guess, worryingly for, for Leicester fans. He's actually emerged as a contender for the Arsenal job and I'm sure if the Manchester United job became available, he'd be in the running for that as well whether he'd actually be interested in taking those is probably a different matter. But um, they're, they're coming up against a Watford team who they're lo- now looking for a third manager of the season. We're only into December. Interestingly for them, the league table changes things a little bit. I mean, it, it does so for Leicester as well. Um, based on underlying performance, Leicester are actually closer to a battle for sixth or seventh rather than top two. Um, and Watford, I mean, they shouldn't really be in as much trouble as they, they are. Don't think that changes much for the board there, but performance in performances hasn't been as bad maybe as the results suggest. But no surprise to see Leicester as a big favourite. Does Infogol think the mark is deserved, or is it worth looking at Watford or the goals market here? Um, yeah, we, we're not as confident as the market, but we aren't far away. Uh, that is obviously down to the fact that Leicester have been really impressive this season, and Watford just haven't, especially recently. 
uh, we're 67% compared to 71% on the market. So there's not too much difference there, which is credit to Leicester, really, uh, as to how far they've come and, and how good they look. And it was the same, again, against Everton at the weekend. They look really good going forward. Uh, 2.5 XG to 1.22. So fully deserved the win, despite it coming in the 94th minute and with a little bit of help from VAR. Um, yeah, they, they just looks like there's no sign of them stopping, to be fair. And what's it, six wins in a row for Leicester now. And like you mentioned, they are second in the table. They've got a three-point cushion to Manchester City. They are, worryingly for everyone else, they're actually getting better. They're trending um, in the right direction. The process is improving. Obviously, we said at the start of the season they were running slightly hot. Um, they are still running a little bit hot, but their process and the performances are actually getting better, uh, like we saw last week, uh, not last week against Brighton, uh, away from home, they racked up over four expected goals, which is something that we'd not seen um, on a regular basis. We've now seen it twice, obviously the Southampton game as well. Um, and in between that, a good win over Crystal Palace and, um, and a good win against Arsenal. So they are really a team that are improving as the weeks go by, which, like I said, is a worry for everyone else in terms of the teams that are trying to chase them down. Uh, your Tottenham's, your Arsenal's, your Manchester United's, even Wolves maybe, because um, they they just like I said, no, slow, showing no sign of slowing down. They've already got difficult games out of the way as well. I think in terms of the the last, top six from last season, they've only got Manchester City left to play. So up to now, what are we on game week fourteen? There's four five game weeks left until we hit the midpoint. They've only got one tough game really um, until game week nineteen, which means that they could. In theory, just continue kicking on and have themselves really Merry Christmas. Um, the process, like I said, is continually improving and, and Watford, like you mentioned, is just completely the opposite. They are they're getting worse. I wasn't surprised to see Kike Sanchez Flores get sacked. I was surprised to see him get hired again. Um, I think Javi Gracia is going to be brought in again um, to see them through the end of the season. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there in terms of their managerial merry-go-round, what goes they can get Marco Silva from Everton. Yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> so many. Even Sean Dyche has been there and done it before, if that's what they want. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really, like we mentioned it a few weeks ago, they've actually been unfortunate. And what we're seeing now is instead of their fortunes turning around through steady performances, they're at, the performances are getting worse, which means that the results are staying the same. So um, no surprise to see him get sacked. Obviously, the, the defeat against Southampton was a, a, a double body blow because it was a you know, fellow relegation contender, if you like. And they're now six points from safety. So they, they really need a spark. And looking at the at the market in terms of the next manager odds, none of them look like they'd provide a spark to me. Mark Hughes, Chris Hewton, uh, Hayden Mullins is in there, who's interim manager for this for this game. So um, they look like they're in some serious trouble. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, all of those managers just go completely against Watford's model, which is a European model, um, Europe managers because they've got a majority European squad so um, I won't be surprised if there was someone priced about 100 to 1 that ends up getting the job that you've never heard of uh, which has happened the last two or three times so um, yeah they're, they're in desperate need I think they'll obviously look at this game and they'll not fancy the chances they might perhaps look to the weekend um, instead but I, I think they'll give a, a good account of themselves Troy Deeney coming back to fitness is a, is a huge boost. He's the focal point that they've been missing for um, pretty much all the season. And yeah, I, obviously Leicester, they, they boast the best defensive record in the league according to expected goals. But I do think Watford can get on the score sheet here. They've got enough talented players. Uh, they just need to be let off 
um, off the lead a little bit and take the handbrake off because that's what Kike Sanchez Forrest was all about. He was a defence first manager. That hasn't worked. They've been conceding too many goals. Um, so, you know, it's time to try a different approach. Let the players have a go. They've got the talent to hurt players, uh, hurt Leicester, sorry. Um, and that's why Infogol's looking at, uh, at both teams to score in this one. There's going to be um, plenty of goals at the King Power. We're a 53% chance of both teams to score, which represents a small amount of value compared to what's on offer on the market. Yeah, definitely interesting to see. You mentioned there Leicester's strong defensive record. The goals market pinnacles at three and the under getting more action, but it is a, a fairly high high goals mark to see there. I'd be, I'd be interested to know, you kind of, I have to hold my hands up a little bit with Leicester because I go back a few weeks, I said, oh, they're being overhyped, their, their process didn't look that great, but they were grinding out those results. But now just looking at the fixture list, obviously got Watford at home, Aston Villa away, Norwich at home, but then at Christmas, or they've then got Man City away and Liverpool at home, Boxing Day. How long does this go on before they emerge as this genuine title contender? I mean, I know it's a completely different scenario, but you go back to that title winning campaign where everyone was just expecting that drop off, kind of waiting and waiting for them to start kind of not performing at the level they were, but they just seem to get better and better. Is there any chance of that happening or do you envisage we get to the elite teams like Manchester City and Liverpool and and that's when Leicester's title hopes really end, do you think? Um, I mean, for me, they've not really got any title hopes. Um, all of that is down to Liverpool, really, because they are setting a searing pace at the top of the table. And um, if they continue doing what they're doing, no one is going to catch them. I think, what is it? What are we on? 14, 52 games over the last two seasons, and they've lost once at Liverpool. So it's really hard to make a case for them to almost be caught because Leicester are going to have to win pretty much every game from now to the end of the season, in my opinion, if they are to win the title, which I, don't, I just don't see them doing. Um, they are a long way off Liverpool and Manchester City still in terms of process. But like you said, they've got kind of fixtures. They've got a nice three fixtures now. You put another nine points on the board, um, 41 points. You've secured, rele- you've, you've staved off relegation, 41 points. Um, and then you go from there. And yeah, like I said, they're going to be a top four team. They're performing like a, a top four team. They are getting better. Um, the only thing that. You said the two big games there. The only thing that puts me off them in those games is their performance at Anfield. They were really poor at Anfield. They had just two shots in the entire game um, and nearly came away with a really fortunate draw. And I think that just showed the, the gulf between the two teams at the time. Um, I think we'll see that again when they play Manchester City. But, you know, I'm, I'm here to be proven wrong. Brendan Rodgers is, is a fantastic manager. He's, he's waving a magic wand there and he's got a really good group of players and at the moment, they are Liverpool's t- closest uh, closest challenges, but I can't see that happening over the whole season, and I definitely can't see them win the league. Yeah, I think you mentioned they're keeping pace, and that's really the the key thing, isn't it? I, I gave Andrew Beasley a shout out on the the last podcast we recorded. I have to do it again because he's he's come up with a, a little graphic that I think it's based on if a hundred points wins the the Premier League title this season, what each team has to do, and Liverpool can afford to kind of lose or draw a couple of games each, whereas Manchester City and Leicester have literally got to win like twenty three games on the spin or something ridiculous. Yeah, that, that it's unfortunate because we were looking forward to this season for being a real close title challenge again but at the minute it's looking like it's going to be a procession right so now we can move on to Manchester United versus Tottenham and obviously this one's going to be billed as the return of Jose Mourinho that for me that shouldn't really detract about 
just how important this game is for both teams that you kind of mentioned it with Chelsea it was almost like the top four was getting out of reach for both of them but results have fallen in such a way that a win here for either team would make it 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 makes it a lot more attainable if they win here and another team slips up but speaking of slipping up Manchester United's draw against Aston Villa obviously doesn't help their cause and We've been big on that defensive process in the past, but it hasn't been anywhere near as good in the last few games against teams that you would expect to be closer to the bottom of the league than the top. And Tottenham, on the other hand, they've benefited from this mythical new manager bounce, if you will. Three wins from three in all competitions look good. On the face of it, you you have to read more into it, I think, about that tactic of maybe taking a lead and then sitting back, but they have conceded two goals in each of those three games and... The deeper you dig into that, it is only 3.01 XG combined over the three, so not necessarily as bad as it looks on paper. If anyone is going to go to Manchester United and know how to beat them, it's probably going to be their their recent manager in Jose Mourinho. So does Infogol think he's got a good chance of doing it? Um, No, we don't. We actually think Manchester United are at excellent value here. We're um, we're giving them a 49% chance of winning compared to the 35 that's on offer. I've got to say, I'm... I think that's, you know, one of the main things that really baffled me about this game was the fact that over the weekend, the markets flipped on its head. So Manchester United were favourites before the weekend for this game um, on the uh, on the market. And, and now it's completely, completely flipped and you've got Manchester United as, as second favourites at home, which I think is a, a very dangerous tactic. Um, like, man, like you said, Manchester United, this defensive process that they've had this season has been been solid you know they've allowed 1.15 expected goals against per game over the 14 games so far but there are signs recently where they are showing serious vulnerabilities on a regular basis really the 1.4 against Villa uh, two against Sheffield United 1.2 against Brighton uh, nearly two against Bournemouth so they are they're showing cracks back there um, I think part of that is to do with the fact that Scott McTominay isn't available as well he's um, he's one of the main enforcers in that midfield playing with a, a midfield of Fred and Pereira at the weekend is not going to make any Tottenham players shake in the boots um, Yeah, I think this is all down to the fact that Manchester United's process over the last six to eight months has been really really strong um, even when they were having that bad patch under Solskjaer after the, um, the PSG game their process was good, they were creating good chances and, and limiting them, their opponents and as for Tottenham, theirs has been really poor for the last um, 12 months, 12 to 18 months. So in terms of our ratings, that's what um, that's what we've been calculating and that's how we calculated the percentage chance. Um, even in this season, Manchester United sit fourth in our expected goals table. Tottenham sit ninth. Um, United are plus 0.72 expected goals per game in, in terms of uh, goal dif- expected goal difference and Tottenham are zero, so they're creating 1.46 and allowing 1.46. So um, over the course of this season, Manchester United have been much the better team in terms of process. However, what we've seen from Tottenham since Jose Mourinho has gone in there has been really impressive. I've got to say, I, I was a little bit sceptical about uh, appointing Mourinho as Tottenham manager, but what he's done there so far has, has really impressed me, mainly because he's actually playing attacking football. Um, he's, he's got good attacking players, which arguably he didn't have at Manchester United. You know, he's, he's, he's fitting them all in the team, Ali, Son, Mora, Kane. Um, and he's got them clicking. He's got them creating good chances. They've racked up over 2.3 expected goals in all three of his games. 
And defensively, they look pretty tight. Like you said, just just three expected goals you know, conceded in three games. So, um, or what what we're seeing in terms of the scoreline isn't reflective of the actual game. Tottenham have been dominant in all three of those, um, even the Olympiacos game where they went two 0 down to two long range efforts. Um, and yeah, they've on the whole been really impressive. But I do just wonder what his approach is going to be in this game. Is he going to continue playing attacking football? Because if he does, he knows that Manchester United have the pace um, and the, the counter-attacking ability to, to really cause Tottenham problems. Will he push Aurier high up and leave space for Rashford to expose? I'm not too sure. I think it's going to be a revert back to the normal Mourinho and, um, and go there, stifle United and try and nick a 1-0 win. For me... I'd love to see him just carry on doing what he's doing and just letting every game finish 3-2 because it's really entertaining, like I keep saying. Um, but I, I can see this being a tight one. Um, and if it's a tight one, I, I can really see Manchester United nicking a goal um, and, and managing to stumble to a three points. Um, like I said, there's a huge amount of value for from our point of view in backing Manchester United to get the win based on expected goals process. But you can't write off the special one. I saw the uh, same as you. I, said, I, I did see that market flip and it was, I mean, I guess for me that encapsulates this idea of people looking at a result, not the the underlying numbers from that, that result and also not thinking about kind of long-term process as well. That's a, that's a knee-jerk reaction to United not getting a win against Villa, which is never a good move to make, is it? No, not at all. You, you, it's some form of bias, isn't it? You you're taking uh, the the most recent result, um, and yeah, like if you look at the underlying numbers, it wasn't a bad performance from United. And um, I think people will be looking at the Sheffield United game as well, and how poor um, Man United were in that game, albeit for eighty of the ninety minutes. But this is a Manchester United team that really does have it has quality. It does have quality, but it only shows up in ten minutes. Uh, or 20 minutes of the of the game, but they can hurt you in those minutes. And yeah, I think the recency bias is a, is a, a little bit of a worry coming into this game for for punters. And obviously, you, you mentioned there the um, the new manager bounce and what a myth that is. I think it basically is just pe- players trying to impress and just playing harder. They don't want to be in the starting eleven. They want to be on good terms with the manager. And I think that's what we're seeing from um, from Tottenham players such as Deli Ali, who looks a you know, revitalised figure under Mourinho. And now we can move on to, we've just talked about two teams that want to finish fourth from top. I think the next two teams will be happy just to finish fourth from bottom because it's Southampton versus Norwich. And we had a bit of a theme emerging with Southampton that kind of kept saying they were, they were unlucky and they deserve more from their performances. And then they had that difficult run of fixtures and they looked pretty poor to be, to be honest. Um, But it did look like they were going to re- real trouble at the weekend as well. And then they managed to turn things around to get against Watford. A couple of decent chances late on and they came out on top of terms of XG as well. It was 1.79 to 0.64. So a, a deserved 2-1 win. Norwich, on the other hand, probably would have taken that draw against Arsenal before the game. And they definitely would have taken it after the game based on the chances created. It They had a, a few low quality chances. Um, Arsenal racked up nearly 2.5 XG worth of worth the chances so they really should have won that game and this one's going to be crucial for both teams this season Southampton they don't really deserve to be in the relegation zone with Norwich but if they lose this one they could be in a fight for the rest of the season so who does Infogol think is going to come out on top of this battle of the bottom 
Uh, yeah, we, we think Southampton will win this one. Um, there's not, no value according to our model. that We're bang on line with what's available on the market, 55%. Um, yeah, we, we just think that Southampton are the better team, really. They, Like you said, the start of the season, they were really unfortunate playing well. And they had that really tough schedule where they played, you know, Leicester, um, Man City, Everton, Arsenal. That's a tough run of fixtures. And um, I think their process took a hit because of that. Obviously, conceding nearly 5xG to Leicester and 4xG to Man City isn't going to help your process. But um, over the course of the season, they've, they still rank as a mid-table team. The performance against Watford, a team in and around them, was fantastic. They fully deserved the win. Um, they actually impressed defensively. They didn't let Watford have, have too much, um, you know, too many strong attacks and create too many chances. And um, yeah, it's pretty impressive performance. And I think they'll continue doing that against teams that are in and around them at the bottom. And then I think they'll continue struggling against the top teams because they play so wide open football. They are, you know, they, re they really are um, the epitome of, of what a Ralph Haas and Hootle team is. And that is high intensity, high press. But if you beat the press, you're going to find gaps. And um, I think Norwich have got a good chance of doing that. <laughs> so they, I watched them against Arsenal and uh, barring a few poor decisions um, from the Norwich players moving uh, while they were on the transition, Norwich could absolutely tear Arsenal to pieces. So, um, they, you know, Southampton has to be careful, but they've got so much quality within that team that um, you know, I'm quite confident that they will, they will stay up. And this, like you said, this is a huge game uh, for both teams. But, yeah, Nor Norwich uh, thought they're dead and buried before the Everton game and all of a sudden they get a fully deserved win at Everton. And they, If you watched the game against Arsenal, they actually played really well. They dominated the last 30 minutes. But that's all that sticks in people's heads is the fact that they, they dominated the football, but they didn't actually create any good chances with it. And that's where expected goals tells a completely different tale to what um, you know, what the pundits and, and what fans who use the eye test uh, might might look at. They created they scored two goals from low probability chances. Um, whereas Arsenal were um a little bit more creative going forward. They they found themselves in better scoring positions and were unfortunate not to win the game. But yeah, I think I'm I, like I said. Overall, I was pretty impressed with what I saw from Norwich against a, a top a top side. Well, can we call Arsenal a top side? Um, but they, you know, against a team that is expected to be a top side, um, and the same away at Everton in the last game, which was you know, it was a really really strong performance going forward and and defensively. So interesting team Norwich. Um, they've now got a few key players back to full fitness. So obviously Zimmerman, the centre half and captain, is a uh, a huge bonus for them because they were playing square pegs in round holes over the last two two months because they've not had anyone fit and now they've got one fit and it looks to have made the you know the desired impact and yeah they're they're, they're a good side the interesting one to watch this one like I said it's both sides play really wide open football so goals are definitely on the cards and I'd be looking at either the both teams to score or the over two and a half in this one to which Infogol has given a um, a 65% chance of over two and a half goals. So um, a high chance of, of, of more entertainment. And like we said, these two teams are wide open. They both play attacking football and they don't care if it's a relegation six-pointer. Yeah, I mean, it's got <clears throat> seemingly has goals written all over it. And I'm hearing whispers that Danny Ings has got the potential to be the next Timo Puki. So you never know. Yeah, they can battle out for their own golden boot. <laughs> right, so now we can move on to Wolves versus West Ham and... It looked like Wolves were gathering steam over the last few weeks. They came into the game against Sheffield United on an eight-game unbeaten run and 
we're heading towards that challenge for the top four that we've spoken about with a few other teams. And they they still are unbeaten, but they would have been expecting a win a win at home against Sheffield United. It did end up on one, and it was a a pretty fair result based on the underlying numbers. Their opponents have got West Ham, who were they were going completely the opposite way to Wolves. They were dropping like a stone. There's obviously a nice story to go along with it, but I think it's never good for a team when your goalkeeper is the one drawing all the plaudits when you get a win. You kind of mentioned that that trade-off in the first half and the second half. It was a fortunate one for West Ham, and while a win is good for them, they still need to improve those performances under Pellegrini. So is there value in West Ham putting in putting their own run together, or is it better to side with Wolves, making it 10 unbeaten in the Premier League? Yeah, definitely the, the latter there. Uh, Wolves to win is, is where we're looking and where we found value. Uh, 54% on the market, we're giving them a 60% chance of winning. And that's simply because we don't rate West Ham. Um, I'm sorry for that, Ben, but... Uh, blunt? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we don't. <laughs> We've got them third in our uh, third bottom in our XG table. Uh, they, they were the first team to break the 30 XG against this weekend, closely followed by Norwich on the Sunday, showing just how poor they are defensively. They're allowing 2.15 expected goals against per game. Uh, in terms of big chances, they, they conceded the most in the Premier League, 33 non-penalty big chances conceded um, and you know, the fifth fewest uh, non-penalty big chances created. So there are teams that are trending in the wrong direction. They have been for quite some time. I think if you remember maybe the first or second show we spoke about the fact that uh, West Ham finished the season really strongly in terms of results, but the performances were really poor um, and that's just carried on into this season and, and the game at the weekend against Chelsea was another reflection of that where defensively they're just all over the place they're conceding chances left and right um, and you know most of those games you're going to lose you might get the odd one that you win and in that case um, West Ham managed to get the win like you said with um, with David Martin getting his getting all the plaudits after a, a decent display on his Premier League debut but the problem remains that they're just conceding so many shots and on goal and um, so many good chances that they are a very unreliable team at West Ham. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit worried for them. I think they'll continue to slide down the table if they keep playing the way they are. Um, Wolves are a team that can take full advantage. They are one of the most organised teams in the league. Going forward, they create plenty of good chances. They've got some real creative talent in there. Um, but for me, the organisation is the key. They, are, they know what they're doing. They're really set. It's very rare that they concede a lot of goals in matches and chances. Um, which makes them a really hard proposition to play against because you can't break them down and they're happy to buy the time and, and create chances when they want to create chances or when they, when it when it opens up the game. And I think that's a dangerous, dangerous game for West, for West Ham. I think this could be a comfortable Wolves win. Like I said, there's plenty of value in backing Wolves to get the win. Uh, and that's definitely what in my money. Can't really argue with anything you said there, but it's it's also interesting to think that from the tail end of last season... West Ham and Watford were kind of, results were different, but process was kind of quite similar. And this season, obviously, Watford, based on process, have actually performed, certainly in the early part of the season, a bit better than West Ham. And it just goes to show a few things go your way. Watford are two managers in, looking for a third, and, and Pellegrini's just about held on to his job. Yeah, I think the main difference between the two sides is that West Ham have got a little bit more quality in, in key areas. And the goalkeeper's better, Fabianski, when he's fit. He's one of the big difference makers in the team. Um, you know, if you're conceding two expected goals per game, and um, and he's conceding one goal a game, he's doing pretty well. Um, and obviously, in the in the key attacking areas, I think West Ham are a little bit stronger. They a little bit more um, star quality that you know, if you're Felipe Anderson and Yarmolenko, they might not play show up every week, but 
the week that they are on fire, they'll end up scoring three goals from you know, 0.5 expected goals and um, everyone will be raving about them again. But uh, that, that's the difference between staying up and going down in this league really is um, that little bit of stardust. And I think West Ham have got that. Our next game is Liverpool versus Everton. And as we said earlier, we've got Mourinho's return to Manchester this week. But this one has to be the highlight fixture for me. We've got a Liverpool team that they just keep on winning and winning 2-1 quite a lot of the time, actually, 50% of the time to be precise. It's seven 2-1 wins in 14 games this season, which is, I mean, it's title winning form, they say. Everton are another team that we had down as being a bit unlucky. They They have been playing well, but not really getting the results that they deserved. But that hasn't been the case in the last couple of weeks with poor showings against Norwich and Leicester. They really need a win. And while their fans' primary concern will be sorting their season out, they would love nothing more than to start that off with a win against their rivals. And that could obviously hinder their title ambitions. So does Infogol think there's much chance here of stopping Liverpool's charge for the title? And more importantly, how do the numbers look compared to the odds? Yeah, so Liverpool are really short for this game. Um, According to Infogo, we're giving them a 62% chance of winning. The market's around 70%. So we're not as strong as um, uh, on, on Liverpool getting the win as, as, as the market is. But it's really hard to look past Liverpool at the moment. They they literally look unbeatable. Uh, the way that they're playing, they're, they continue to look really solid defensively. They're not conceding many chances. And um, and they're being extremely clinical with the chances that they're getting. Um, you know... <laughs> If Mane and Salah don't score, Virgil van Dijk pops up with two goals randomly, which is um, quite amusing. But it's just what they do, Liverpool. They, they, like you said, seven two ones. That is absolutely it's unbelievable, really. And um, you have to question whether winning by such a small margin is sustainable over the course of the season. Um, and you look at Man City last season. I'd imagine they didn't win many, too many games two one. I think they were more three nil and four nil, which is much more sustainable. But if the breaks start going against Liverpool and you know, it's at one-one, and they usually go and get the two-one win. Breaks start going against them, then those get those one-ones can soon turn into defeats or or draws. So, um, a little bit for Liverpool fans to think about there. It's not good to have the games so close so often, um, but I don't think they should have any issue here against Everton. <clears throat> you know, you mentioned the two ones, and they are conceding goals. Liverpool, I think, is it two or maybe three clean sheets in the in the season uh, after fourteen games, which is quite poor really for a team that we that had such a strong defensive record last season and I think that that will roll on again this in, into this game Everton like you said they are they have been one of the most unlucky teams so far this season they sit fourth bottom but they rank seventh on our expected goals table They're, the process is strong 1.56 for 1.33 against so they create good chances and um, you know they do give opponents chances but um yeah, they, they. I think they've got enough firepower to get on the score sheet here. I don't. I don't think they'll trouble Liverpool in terms of a uh, getting a result. It's an interesting, interesting one with the amount of pressure that Marco Silva's under. If they lose this game, and Southampton win, for example, Everton are all of a sudden in the bottom in, in the bottom three, and you're looking at Marco Silva in that next manager to be sacked market, and he looks very tempting even at a short price, but. I think the only thing saving Marco Silva is the fixture list. Really, they've got they played Leicester, Liverpool, we've got Chelsea, and Manchester United and Arsenal after Liverpool, which is not it's not the sort of games that you want to come in into if you're a new manager. But yeah, I, I don't think things are going to get any easier for Silva. 
I think it'll be a win for Liverpool. But I, I like to think that the trend with Liverpool has been winning in both teams to score, and I think it's going to be the same case in this match. We're around fifty-three percent chance of both teams scoring, which is pretty much in line with what's on the market. Uh, but that's where I'll be going in this one. Yeah, just a bit of fact checking on the the two ones there. It's seven in total. Four in the last five have been two one. Wow. Yeah, so that shows you that they may, may be conserving energy. That might be what they're doing. That's got to be it, isn't it? Our next game is Sheffield United versus Newcastle and two teams here that many would have had down as relegation contenders, but that hasn't quite been the case so far this season. Sheffield United and Chris Wilder have earned themselves a few fans and two draws from games against Manchester United and, and Wolves is a good return from them since coming back from the international break. Newcastle, they look to have almost turned the corner after that difficult start, but things seem to have unravelled a bit with that 2-0 loss against Aston Villa. And again, on paper, a draw against Manchester City looks good, but we know from looking at the XG figures that there's really more to it than that. Um, It's not really a game that you can do anything but sit back for 90 minutes, so credit where credit's due in some sense, I guess. Um, But that... That tough start seemed to have maybe skewed Newcastle's position in the table based on the expected points, and they're still down the bottom there. But good fortune has probably benefited Sheffield United and got them to to seventh when they're probably closer to a, a mid-table, maybe just below team based on their process. So do you think Sheffield United solidify their good position in the table here, or do you think Newcastle can climb up into the top half? Um, yeah, this, this is an interesting game. Look, Just looking at the 1x2 market, I think that, I think Sheffield United are way too short for this. I know they've, they've been impressive, but um, while they've won you know, some good home get good home wins against Arsenal and Burnley, they they're drawing a lot of games. Sheffield United are so I definitely think they're too short at around fifty one percent. Infogol's got them around forty five percent, which suggests that with the home advantage, we think they're a better team than Newcastle. I think everyone would agree with that. Um, they are very well organised. They got a fully deserved point at Wolves. They're really impressive against Manchester United, but like you said, on the whole this season, they're a little bit fortunate to sit seventh in the table. They rank thirteenth um, in our expected goals table, but I'm pretty sure if you say to Blades fans at the start of the season you'll finish thirteenth, I think they'd, they'd snap the right arm off. So, um, fair play to United. They've, they've played well. Like I said, one of the main things I like about themselves and Wolves is just how organised they are. Uh, everyone knows the job. Everyone knows their role. Uh, everyone knows what's expected of them, um, and that that makes them a really difficult team to, to break down and, and to, to beat. So um, I think, I think they'll, they'll probably end up with another draw in this one. I think they're way too short on the 1x2, like I said. And um, Although I'm not a big fan of Newcastle, uh, you know, I've already said about the, the game against Manchester City, uh, the fortunate 2-2 with the really negative tactics. And um, you know, the game before against Aston Villa was arguably worse, the way that they just sort of rolled over in that game. But there's been signs of life, like you said, but not enough for me um, to rule them out of relegation completely. I think uh, they currently sit dead last in our expected goals table based on expected points. Um, they're stone dead last in terms of expected goals for. They're, they're creating less than one expected goal per game, so they are struggling to get on the score sheet uh, and create good chances. But I, I just want to see a bit more of what we saw uh, from them against West Ham and Bournemouth, which was... You know, take the handbrake off, Steve. Um, let Newcastle have a go. They've got some decent, or well, they look decent anyway from what we've seen so far. They've not really been allowed to attack attacking players. Um, you know, St. Maximan, Almiron, Joel Linton, there's, there's some talent there. Well, there's definitely a lot of money there as well. Um, we want to see a little bit more from them. 
they've got the capability to cause problems for Sheffield United. It's not a um, you know resolute Sheffield United defence. They've, they've allowed one and a half expected goals against per game this season, so they are gettable. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a, an interesting game to watch. I think it's going to be a very even game. I don't think Sheffield United will have everything their own way. Um, that's why I think back in Newcastle, or the draw is 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 not a bad way to go in this one. I think, like I said, Sheffield United a little bit too short, um, which means that there's value in in opposing them, and we're giving Newcastle a fifty five percent chance of avoid uh, of avoiding defeat. And I think they could do that. And obviously, Steve Bruce, former Sheffield Wednesday manager, you know, Sheffield United former Sheffield United manager, also obviously, um, it's going to be an interesting game. I think uh, whether there'll be too many goals or not is is the main question. Two relatively low-scoring sides. We're around a forty-seven percent chance of uh, of over two and a half goals, so we're not expecting um, too many goals in this one. I, I could see this being like a, a potentially a one-one draw um, between two sides that w- that are defence first. Yeah, I think from all the fixtures we've got this week, this one's probably down there as one I'd, I'd least expect to be a a thriller. So maybe we'll just see a, a three three or a three two come up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe four four as well, I was gonna say but Last but not least, we've got Arsenal versus Brighton and any Arsenal fans that listen to this were probably glad that I was away last week as it would have just been more of the same and what we've been saying for months now. However, this week we can feel a bit of sympathy for Arsenal. They put up 2.42 xG against Norwich and while that that was good for the two goals they scored, they were obviously, as you said earlier, very unlucky to concede the two based on the 0.84 worth of xG that they conceded. So Maybe, just maybe, we're going to see the tie turn for Arsenal, but we'll obviously have a better idea of that in the coming weeks. And next up for them is a Brighton team who have played well this season. They gave Liverpool a good run for their money. Liverpool peppered them with shots and created quite a few chances, while Brighton had a few of their own. And 2-1 was probably a fair result in the end, but not bad against Liverpool. Well, about average against Liverpool, given what we just said. Yeah. This one is definitely going to be a challenge for Jumberg in front of the home fans and Arsenal are the obvious favourites. You've been happy to take them on for most of the season. Is that the case again in this game? Um, yes, I'm not changing my tune. Um, like we said, uh, the game against Norwich, they were a little bit unfortunate, but I saw enough there for me to still be worried about Arsenal. The the way that Norwich were just carving through um, Arsenal's supposed midfield um, is a huge worry. Uh, defensively, they just look kamikaze still. Um, David Luiz and Mustafi were paired together in that Norwich game and that is just a recipe for disaster um, I think Brighton have got the technical players to be able to really cause Arsenal problems I, think it, I actually think this is a game that really suits Brighton um, you know like Arsenal have been really struggling at home um, obviously the pressure that has been, has been put on by the fans um, hasn't helped but still they uh, in terms of results, they are really struggling in front of their own fans. Three draws in a row against teams that you know they, they expect to beat. The Crystal Palace, Southampton, and that Southampton game was a yeah, it's a good job you was you weren't you weren't available last week because they, they would have got some stick for that game. Um, a Southampton team bereft of confidence, and within five minutes they'd got all the confidence in the world against Arsenal. Um, Two point seven expected goals Arsenal conceded against Southampton, which is. Um, a really poor result. Not surprised to see you Emery get the sack off the back of um, of that performance and obviously the, the midweek Europa game. But uh, yeah, like you said, the early signs under Lundberg were, from an expected goals perspective anyway, were pretty positive, although they were playing the worst team in the league, um, according to expected goals, Norwich. Um, 
But like I said, I, I saw enough for, for me to think that this could be a good game for Brighton. You know, they, they come into this game on the back of three straight defeats, but they have played Manchester United, Leicester and Liverpool. Um, in terms of expected goal table, all three of those sit in the top five. So it's a really tough schedule that they've had there. And especially against Liverpool, they really did put on a, a you know, decent show. Uh, obviously, the red card for the goalkeeper always helps. But um, from what we've seen earlier in the season, I, I think that the way that Brighton like to play is really suited to playing against Arsenal against good counter-attacking teams like Manchester United, Leicester, um, even Liverpool, you could say. They, they, they were found out. They're quite wide open, but I don't see too much of a um, quality in transition from Arsenal going forward. I think that I think Brighton will have um, way too much for them in midfield. I actually prefer Brighton's midfield to Arsenal's midfield. Um, and I think that the way that Graham Potter's got them playing and, and got them organised, I think they'll be um, a really, really tough team for Arsenal to break down. And I would not be at all surprised if Brighton go there and get the win. But in terms of um, what Infocol's thinking for this game, we're just opposing Arsenal. We think there's no value in backing Arsenal around 60% on the market. Um, Brighton or the draw is where we're looking. We're giving them a 43% a chance of getting something, which is a little bit of value compared to what's on offer. So, um, yeah, no Unai Emery, still the same problems. What a great way to end the pod. <laughs> I've been practising that line. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that. that's our midweek games done and dusted. And we will be back on Friday for another episode to cover the weekend fixtures and, and shed some light on the next round of games in the Premier League. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Jake, and along with the insights from the InfoGoal model, it's it's been a pleasure. Absolutely, yeah. Look forward to Friday. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you want more info, information on InfoGoal, then visit infogold.net, follow at app on Twitter and download the app on iTunes and Android. You'll find all the latest odds for game week 15 of the Premier League on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to please gamble responsibly. 